You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Anything going on this Saturday morning? Yeah, nope. it's not, no, I don't know. But quiet, quiet news day, Curtis, is what they call it. Yeah, us. well, very quiet in the Pac-12, that's for sure. Nothing going on uh, with you a already, third you went of there the right away. I know, you went I know, there right I, away. I, I, I look whenever Larry Scott does something terrible, I gotta take him out from the knees, and uh, we're gonna be talking about that here on Seattle Sports Saturday for sure. Uh, because holy cow, this was supposed to be a a celebratory day in the Pac-12, back to football, uh, but that has not happened for the Huskies here in Seattle. It hasn't. It's not going to happen in Cal. It's not going to happen in Arizona. Not going to happen in Utah. Uh, but there are still some games to be played. Taylor, your Cougs, the Nick Rolovich era, the Jaden Delora era, underway later today. So that'll be. Uh, you know, that'll be a fun one. Pac-12 After Dark, the very first edition of it. You're decked out in your Cougs gear today. Uh, how hyped are you for uh, what we're hopefully going to see tonight? Uh, we, we've talked about it on the show a little bit, Curtis, just how we felt this disconnect to college football. And this is the first weekend where I feel connected. I feel alive. I get the Pac-12 juices flowing inside my body. I'm so excited. Rolovich era, I think you, if you've listened to the show, you also know how I feel about Mike Leach and, and his shortcomings that he had at Wazoo. Not a lot, but some. Hoping Nick Rolovich can uh, bring a little stability to that program. And, and it starts today. You gotta it, Things get weird after dark in the Pac-12, Curtis, as we as know. So you got to take care of business against Oregon State because anything can happen when the lights go out in the Pac-12. It's true. It's very true. And as we know, Pullman after dark can get pretty strange. What was it last year, that UCLA game? Uh, yeah. So hopefully nothing like that happens. Nick Rolovich, different than Mike Leach. Uh, he'll, I, I don't expect him to ever take his foot off the gas pedal at any point. But uh, it's going to be a fun one tonight watching that one. 7.30 kickoff. You can hear that right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Um, but we mentioned anything big happening this morning. Obviously, there is a much bigger story going on uh, it, it, from a global perspective. If you want to listen to uh, election coverage, head on over to 97.3 FM uh, today. But if you would like to hear some Seattle Sports Saturday, you want to hear some Seahawks as they get set to take on the Buffalo Bills tomorrow, a huge game between two contenders. If you want to hear some Pac-12 talk, this is the place to be right here for the next two hours. We're with you from 10 a.m. to noon every single Saturday, Taylor Jacobs and myself uh, for forever, I guess. This is where we're, we're going to be when we're 75 years old, right here, 10 to noon on 710 ESPN Seattle. But we've got a lot coming your way today here on Seattle Sports Saturday, including uh, Pac-12 talk as it's supposed to be week one. It's supposed to be a great week, but uh, for whatever reason, the conference still cannot get out of their own way. Uh, That's coming up in about a half hour from now. And also, we're going to take a look around the NFL in the 11 o'clock hour. Some big games could have an impact on the Seahawks and their standing in the NFC West. Uh, And then also... We will look at also the reinforcements that Seattle's defense is getting this weekend against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Not just Jamal Adams coming back, but they get Carlos Dunlap, they get Rasheem Green. Still no Snacks Harrison, but we will get into what those reinforcements will mean for Seattle's defense. So no better time than now to get into this hour's Big Three. 
number one. Well, Curtis, you mentioned it. Pardon me. I'm getting choked up. I'm excited. Sunday morning. Going to have a big matchup between two divisional leaders, question mark, as the Seahawks 6-1 take on. Checking my notes here. 6-2 Buffalo Bills leading the AFC East division. Man, oh, man, what? What a who thought this would be this way? You thought the Patriots would be normally a top, but no, it's the Buffalo Bills right now. But before we get there, we got to talk about some injury news as we do most weeks with the Seahawks here. The injury report rather lengthy, so we'll start here at the top. Running back Chris Carson already ruled out for that matchup. Also, running back Carlos Hyde going to be out for that matchup as well. So you could most likely expect to see some DJ Dallas. You may see some Alex Collins getting some carries. You you also may see the same thing you saw last week. Just a bunch of passing all over the yard. But guard Mike Yapati, Benson Mayoa, Shaquille Griffin, and Ugo Amadi all out. Pete Carroll, pardon me, like you said, saying uh, Rasheem Green will be ready. Snacks Harrison, unfortunately, still searching for that roster spot. Not quite there. We'll get into that a little bit later in the hour. But last piece of good news, Jamal Adams will not be limited at all with that groin injury. He'll be a full go since uh, week three when he picked up that injury. Number two. False start on the Pac-12. That'll be a two-game penalty and a loss of a game for one-third of the conference. Thursday, saw the Huskies' first game of 2020 canceled because their opponent, Cal, had a positive COVID test. On Friday, Arizona and Utah saw their game get canceled because Utah had multiple players test positive. But big ups to Larry Scott, though, for not scheduling a season with any sort of flexibility because those two games are gone forever. As for the games that are still on, the Cougs will start their season tonight in the very first edition of Pac-12 After Dark in the 7.30 time slot against Oregon State. Two very big firsts for the Cougs tonight. The first game of the Nikola Rolovich era, he comes to the Cougs from Hawaii, where he spent many years there uh, as an assistant, as a coach, as an, and as a, as a head coach. He takes over for Mike Leach. And then also, the first time a season starts in school history with a freshman quarterback, Jaden Delora. He also becomes just the third true freshman quarterback to ever start a game in program history, joining Drew Bledsoe and Jeff Tool. Cougs Beavers, 730. Fingers crossed we can get this one in. Number three. Well, Curtis, a pair of youngsters having a nice week for the Mariners. First baseman Evan White and shortstop J.P. Crawford, both named 2020 American Gold Glove winners. Great to see that. White became the first rookie first baseman in MLB history to win that award so big ups to evan and that accomplishment and then crawford joins omar vizquel as the only mariners to win a gold glove at shortstop now attentions turn to the big story everyone's waiting for it kyle lewis most likely on november 9th to be named the american league rookie of the year and if not then we will have a big protest show here on saturday i can guarantee count the you that votes count the votes count the But it's most likely a safe bet that uh, Kyle Lewis bringing home that award and he will uh, most likely add to his great young career 
And uh, it's exciting to see where the Mariners' young stars are already starting to head and a different feeling around this Mariners team, those young pieces already showing that they're uh, valuable at a major league level. It's not just a, uh, a hope and a wish. It's a major league level here. It is. Th- those are this hour's big three. And, and those Mariners, you get two gold glovers and possibly a rookie of the year in 2020, which really was kind of the first year where things I think the the boat is turning a little bit. It's making that turn towards contention. The Mariners are going to have a lot more money to spend in free agency over the next few seasons. And, oh, by the way, there's still an, a whole other wave of young talent coming into the organization. But to get foundational pieces like Evan White and like Kyle Lewis, and, and I'll, I'll put J.P. Crawford in there for the time being. I mean, he still has a ways to go with the bat. But to have these guys in place already – with that next wave coming, Taylor, I know it's sort of sacrilege around here to have hope around the Mariners, but I'm starting to think a little more positively towards how the next few years are going to go based off of who we already have in Mariner blue. Oh, <clears throat> I'm with you, Curtis. This is, this is the time to get excited. And I know we've heard that before. There's been so many times before, Oh, this is team is young. Believe the rebuild. This is truly it. You can feel it. It's different. They have these players. They have all these core positions are starting to show where they are. And if they can start to add and, you know, in the free agency period, when you're going to be able to pick some older veterans up to add some more leadership on this uh, on this roster, you could see this Mariners team truly competing in a couple of years because these young guys, if they continue this this growth pattern then all we're going to see is great success for them so look they still got to do it they got to go out there and get the results but so far early results early trends very positive for the mariners going forward Absolutely. And then uh, some honorable mentions this week, the Seahawks with a couple of roster moves. They activated Colby Parkinson, uh, the draft pick, because he's starting to feel a little bit of health. He's starting to feel healthier, which means there had to be somebody on the active roster getting taken off. That'd be Luke Wilson, fan favorite. Uh, he's been released. He's still a free agent, but could resign to the practice squad any day now. Uh, Michael Kendricks also released. But he signed back to the practice squad, so there's the possibility we could see Kendricks at some point with Seattle's active roster here in 2020. And then we've got some Sounders. They play tomorrow at CenturyLink Field. Uh, And then Raul Rui Diaz, he scored his 11th goal of the season in the third minute of injury time. Sounders played uh, the Galaxy, the LA Galaxy, to a 1-1 draw. Taylor, you're our Sounders insider here on, on Seattle Sports Saturday. How's it looking for their title defense this season? It's looking pretty good. Look, they've had some recent results, you know, a couple draws, not really going the way that they anticipated. They were stacking up a lot of wins, um, but they're they're in the hunt. They're going to make the playoffs. They're they're going to be one of the toughest outs in the playoffs. And uh, for them, the Eastern Conference is great. And and you honestly may see Sounders, Toronto FC, you know part a million it feels like at this point they just keep playing each other in the mls cup um but honestly they're two fantastic clubs and they're well run uh i I would not be surprised if you know come the mls cup we're talking about those two teams playing each other again tales all this time 2020 has been so unpredictable but one thing we can hitch our wagon to is seattle and toronto in the mls cup that's just how it is 
Some I sense so. of normalcy. We need, it's we good. need those, Curtis. We need it. <laughs> we do. <laughs> those things. Normalcy has been few and far between here in 2020. I'll take what I'll take anything I can get at this point. We're in November. We got. got a month. Yeah, we got a month and a half left of this of this year. Well, something's got to break our way, right? Well, what's breaking Seattle's way, what's breaking the Seahawks' way is those reinforcements on the defense. They are coming. They are coming in a hurry. Tomorrow we're going to see Carlos Dunlap, Rasheem Green, Jamal Adams. What are reasonable expectations for those guys in their first games back? We'll We'll dive into that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. 15 minutes from now, Taylor and I, we've got some grievances with the Pac-12 to air. <laughs> we've got some do serious. We, do we ever, Curtis? Oh, man. Strap in because uh, Larry Scott, I hope you're listening. He's probably listening. He always tunes into us. Uh, this is Seattle Sports Saturday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you so much for making us a part of your morning. But tomorrow, the Seahawks, their defense is going to look maybe the most closely resembling what we kind of thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. Even in terms of their what their pass rush is going to look like, they're going to get Rasheem Green back. They're going to get Jamal Adams back tomorrow. But also... They're going to get Carlos Dunlap for the very first time. Those are three huge pieces to what makes the Seahawks defense go or what will make them go throughout the course of the rest of the season. We're halfway through this season, by the way. Blink and it's gone. But now there is a, a much, you know, with each game the importance gets amplified. And now the Seahawks are getting those pieces. Still no Snacks Harrison, but I would imagine at some point he's going to play for the Seahawks. But Taylor... When you look at this Seahawks team tomorrow, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, what do you expect to see from each of those three guys, Green, Dunlap, and Adams? Because, well, Dunlap probably the healthiest of those three. Uh, barely barely played in Cincinnati. So what are you expecting to see from those guys? This is like, to me, when the Power Rangers all got together and their Zords would come to form Megazords. This is what it's like. Dunlap is going to be one of those pieces added on green. We know what he can do. And then with the two of them providing some more pressure up front, Adams also helps pro- provide that pressure in the, in the back of the defense as well, right? So coverage sacks now back onto the table. More blitzing. We saw a little bit more blitzing last weekend and mixing that into, into the play calling. Adams loves coming down into the box and being one of those extra blitzers. You you can trust some of your linebackers to cover and to cover some of the, the ground you would need in that blitzing scenario when Adams may be going. So you just start to get a little bit more of those plays back in your playbook as well. You can trust that some of that pressure will start to increase. You will start to hurry up that quarterback. And look, what what better week than Josh Allen? The guy oh, yeah. makes the craziest decision. He, le- he makes at least three decisions that are, there's no excuse. There's literally zero excuse for why he would make that play. And yet he seems to do it week in and week out. However, he still can make big plays with his arm, with his leg. So with his legs, not with his single, he's not kicking. He may kick. That would be wild. He's, if he on had a, he's like your boy. A, yeah. A singular leg impact like <laughs> Curtis Rogers out there. Wow. That Ooh. would be a big game for Josh Allen. But. 
like I said, Curtis, it, it, it's all of these pieces of the puzzle of, of the Megazord are coming together and they're starting to really look like this defense we thought they would look like. And if they get to that just medium level defense with this level offense, th- there's not a whole lot stopping this team. I completely agree with that because I think the the blueprint was put in place for this Seahawks team a year ago with the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs had an amazing offense the entire season. And as soon as they got it together defensively, that's when they became the juggernaut that they still are right now. Uh, You know, with Chris Jones and Frank Clark on the defensive line, uh, they're still, I would consider them to be the best team in the NFL, even though the Steelers are undefeated and even though the Seahawks are right there at 6-1. and one, I still would have a tough time picking against Kansas City in any situation. But Seattle, I think, has, is following what Kansas City has done over the last couple of seasons, just turning it over, handing the, or turning the keys over to Russell Wilson, just as Kansas City did to Pat Mahomes a couple seasons ago. Uh, and then also... You know, that defense for Seattle starting to come together. They've got the pieces coming back. I think, you know, you look at Kansas City, Tyron Matthew had a huge impact in their secondary. Jamal Adams is a better version of the Honey Badger. Uh, their pass rush now with Carlos Dunlap. Who knows if he's going to be able to, you know, get back to the level of production that he did with Cincinnati. But the the blueprint is there. They have the pieces. Now it's just, you know, executing and it's just getting everybody involved and getting this machine back on track. Yeah. And and like you mentioned there, Curtis, you, uh, the chiefs did a really good job last season of getting timely turnovers for their offense and getting Patrick Mahomes and that offense in that, that space to score, getting them quick red zone opportunities, things like that. And to the Seahawks credit, they've been able to do that quite frequently this season, in spite of all the injuries, in spite of not having a Dunlap or a green or an Adams back there for a majority of the six and one run so far. So if you think about that and you you're still able to do that with the pieces that they have currently, and you start to add a little bit more, those pieces will be fresh. They'll be able to last a little bit longer into the game, have that burst a little bit deeper into the game. You just, it's, it's, it's it's not common sense, but it's just the nature of the beast where you if you add these things, they are going to help increase where you you want that pressure, where you want those turnovers. And that's what this team needs. Timely turnovers, staying in that pot in, in that zone. That's where this team will will get that ball back to Russell Wilson in the red zone so he can score and get those quick scoring opportunities because we it, it's been shown that you it's difficult to stop this offense currently. Yeah, and you mentioned the turnovers and you mentioned Seattle even despite their penchant for allowing chunk yardage and their 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 uh you know, they've given up the most yardage of any team in the entire NFL, but they have also been advantageous. They have among the best uh, turnover differential of any team in the league. I believe if they get, I think, three or four turnovers on Sunday, they could have the best turnover differential in the entire league. Um, and, you know, you bring in guys, you bring in, you know, Jamal Adams, for example, who is a game wrecker whenever he is out there. To me, in my eyes, in the first couple of games of the season when he was playing, he was the best defensive player the Seahawks had. And you look at what Bobby Wagner was able to do last week, blitzing the 49ers relentlessly. 
the fact that the Seahawks have the potential to add somebody better than Bobby Wagner to that defense now, I mean, I think that really, you know, the, the possibilities are kind of endless. You kind of lick your chops at, at it. Yeah, and that and that's no disrespect to Bobby Wagner either because he's no, playing fantastic. I know it took a little while for him statistically to ramp up, but he leads that defense, and he is the reason why they bend and don't break. He, that is the Bobby Wagner will, and I think that's one of the reasons why you saw this defense with all of the injuries, despite all of the call-ups from the practice squad, the irregular starters, they were able to still be good enough to get this team to 6-1 and one and get the job done. Can they improve? Of course. They can definitely get better. Curtis, you mentioned it. They're giving up the most yards in the NFL. I mean, there's only one way to go other than up from there. So for them, there is still more to be had for this defense, but these are the things, especially halfway through the season, you're getting healthy, right? You're getting these guys back. You're adding some of these pieces that you added. Yes, it took a little bit longer. There's still pieces to come. There's still pieces to be added to this to this roster. And even beyond this defense, you know, the Josh Gordon news still hangs out there at some point that will we ever hear about his availability and what he could potentially bring to this team and what he could add on a third, fourth down type scenario like we saw last season in his limited abilities. So they're not even done growing yet and getting better. And I think that's so exciting to say about a six and one team right now. Yeah, I think at 6-1, and one, you kind of expect a team to be nearing their peak, and it, I don't think this Seahawks team has come close to what the best version of themselves is. And I think the best version of themselves definitely includes Jamal Adams in that conversation because outside of Russell Wilson, I don't know if there's a more important player to what's going on with the Seahawks, at least defensively. Uh, you know, Maybe Bobby Wagner, you could put him there. And now all of a sudden you're getting these pieces back. When you look at Jamal Adams and you know the time that he has spent off, he's this is he missed what four games, so a third of the season he's already missed. Do you expect any rust from him tomorrow, or do you think he's going to be out there playing with his hair on fire as he did the first couple of weeks of the season? I think he's going to be playing with his hair on fire. I think he's going to be his impact will be felt immediately. First of all, his presence will be felt immediately. Have you seen the guy? He's enormous. When he steps out he's on the tank. field, he's ter- he's terrifying. Oh my gosh, Halloween was a few days ago and I'm still frightened by Jamal Adams getting back onto that field. So, uh it, it you, like you mentioned Curtis, the there's just that stability coming back and you're right. I don't, there may be some rust, but to me, I I think within a few plays, he'll be back there. He's so elite and he's still young enough that I think his body is able to bounce back from things like that. So I'm not anticipating it. I'm sure he's not anticipating it. He's been, his helmet hasn't been off in the time he's been injured. He's been wearing it every game day. So he's familiar with the feel of the helmet on. He'll just throw some pads on. Maybe he's been wearing his shoulder pads in the past few weeks just to ramp up. But maybe he's slowly been building back, even at his own house, about getting ready for this game. I know. I think the one thing I'll miss most tomorrow with him playing is his social media commentary throughout yeah, the game. I, mean, I know. He's, he's been a tremendous analyst to have. Uh, 
the biggest cheerleader out there for his for his teammates, and I think that kind of speaks to the culture that the Seahawks have built here in Seattle and the buy-in from Jamal Adams because there's no way he was ever going to do that with the Jets. There's no chance he was ever going to root on that team or or root on you know the coaching staff or, or have anything good to say about them. But here in Seattle, it is night and day different than than what was going on in East Rutherford. It's just. The, what the Seahawks have built here in, in 2020 is very reminiscent to what they had built in the early stages of Pete Carroll and John Schneider. And maybe it was, you know, just having to, to re, redo the entire locker room and, and get some of the guys here who were, you know, frustrated or whatever. But it, it looks to me like this is, you know, closely resembling those early Seahawks teams. You know, maybe the formula is a little different. Obviously, defensively, they're not anywhere near the same as they were. But the results have been the same. The the wins have came at the same rate that they used to come here. And it's 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 been a, a very enjoyable brand to watch, even though it does get a little tense at times. Yeah, if Russ is cooking, then Pete and John are baking. And, and yeah, they might be baking a different batch of cookies this time, but they're, they're still cookies and they're still hitting. And boy, oh boy, in the, in the November, December months when you're getting some warm cookies straight out of the oven, oh, there's nothing better. And John and Pete, they're baking right now. That's for sure. They are. They absolutely are. Hopefully they're baking up some snacks soon because I could use some Ooh, snacks. If you, let's if you see catch what you did drink. there. I see yeah. what you did there. That's radio magic, <laughs> folks. That's radio magic. You don't get that anywhere else at 1029 a.m. Coming up in no. this hour, we'll take a look at some of the injuries that the Seahawks have this week. Another lengthy injury report. Uh, the running back position going to be another question mark going into tomorrow's game. But before we do that, Larry Scott, I hope you're listening because your conference cannot get out of their own way. We talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm sure a lot of you out there this week were getting so ready, so amped up for Saturday, getting to watch your Huskies for the first time since their bowl game last year, since the Vegas Bowl it's been so long without Pac-12 football in, in a lot of our lives. I mean, yeah, the conference is not what it used to be, but it's college football. It's a college football Saturday. And we got the news on Thursday afternoon that there would not be a Husky game today. There would not be a Husky versus Cal game. After all of this buildup, all of this, you know, will the Pac-12 play? Will they not play? All the conjecture and all the, the back and forth and and we finally got testing in place for the conference, which means, okay, now there's going to be less worry. We can do this. And all just the balloon pops on Thursday. There's no Cal. There's no UW. And then to, uh, yesterday, there's no Utah or Arizona. Uh, it just was absolutely deflating this week, Taylor, to learn that we're going to be without a third of the conference when everything every today was supposed to be a great day in the Pac-12 that they were getting back to playing and we're not going to see that for for a lot of schools a lot of schools that are going to factor into you know the conference championship this year i think to me the worst part of this and it has to do with that is it isn't that unexpected to me 
with Larry Scott in charge of this conference, it, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility in my mind. And to be honest, it almost was expected. And, and I think that's the worst feeling to have, to feel hopeless, to feel that the people up top aren't looking out for the, the best interest of this conference. And we, we, I'll admit it, Curtis, I don't want to mean to throw you under the bus here, but we're no ones, okay? And it's it true. feels like we have a better grasp about what's going on at the at the grassroots level of the Pac-12 and what what is the issue that they're having at the top about letting it happen the right way or getting it done the right way. And it feels like time and time again, Larry Scott always bungle, he, he fumbles the ball. He, he, he yes. just, he can't handle it. I look at this week and I'm, I think people may hear the words that we're saying and think, oh, well, these guys just want them to play through COVID and play through that. It's not that at all. It's that the Pac-12 didn't allow themselves any outs for the possibility of COVID. They didn't allow themselves any chance to make up these games. And so you've got a, an abbreviated schedule already for these schools. Now you've got a third of your conference only playing, what, five conference games, maybe even a sixth if, they, if it gets to that point. Whereas everybody else is playing seven. We've got USC and ASU on our screens right now, and Ugh. they're playing. They're they're playing fine. Well, I mean, the, the product's not exactly great. I mean, both teams. I was going to say, Curtis, amazing. they're on the field. Yeah, there's some players on the field running <laughs> around, flopping around on each other, and there's a score. I mean, it's 17 14, Arizona State currently <laughs> leading with 30 seconds left in the first half. But. Boy, oh boy, it's uh, it's far from the regular football, even the Pac-12 level of football that we're used to. So, yeah. I, it, it, I think everyone is always, I think it's just a general disappointment that this conference mm-hmm. should be better, and that you, t- if you talk to any other sports fans around the country. The Pac-12 is a joke, and it didn't used to be that way, and it didn't used to be that way not too long ago. It, it, About a it's not like these are ago. distant. Yeah, these are distant memories. Like some people that are listening to the show right now were in school when the Pac-12 was rolling. I mean, it, it's so unfortunate that week in again, week in, week out, we sit here and we talk about the Pac-12 and their shortcomings and how they mess things up and how you can't watch games unless you're, you know, in rural China. Like, it's so confusing to me that this is the way things are going in this conference because not too long ago they weren't. And they took a risk on Larry Scott bringing him in, and it was a big gamble to take in a guy like that to run the Pac-12. And it failed. And I think it's time for all the presidents to come together and say – Larry Scott has failed us as a conference. It's time to move on. It's time to get someone who truly cares about this conference and can get them back to being a national success. That's the only thing that they should be caring about as a conference right now. Yeah, and you look at the state of the network. They had to lay off so many people. They won't have live broadcasting this year for games. It's all going to be done on ESPN, ESPN2, and Fox. It, it just goes to show the state of the product that the Pac-12 is in, that their own network isn't viable at this point. And then and getting back to 
just the season itself, expecting seven straight weeks without a positive test is sheer lunacy. Because you've got 12 schools in 12 different areas of the West Coast where there are so many different ways that local governments have instituted you know, COVID restrictions and, and whatnot. There are some places where it's a lot looser, like in Arizona and Utah, and there are some places where it's a lot stricter, like Berkeley, where the Huskies were going to play today. Uh, to expect seven straight weeks of a clean bill of health on a college campus, nonetheless, too. Like, from what we have seen through COVID, college campuses are just, they're petri dishes. To expect seven straight weeks of that, of clean bills of health, is is absolutely insane. It's almost like the Pac-12 went into this hoping that games were going to get canceled. And... You're so right, Curtis. They knew all of these things were coming. They knew all that. They had all the data. They had all the information that this is what was going to happen. And there was no backup plan. There was no preparation for what happens when this truly goes down. Why aren't we talking about UW versus Arizona being flexed into a game Monday or Tuesday of next week? And yeah, I know all the equipment probably went to the different cities, but you mean to tell me some jerseys and some helmets are the only thing holding this game up? Like, how is there not a backup plan and a backup plan to the backup plan? If anything, you knew in March that this was the way things were trending and that it would come a time when your number would be called, unless they canceled the season, but they ended up coming back where you would have to have some of these things in place. And again, it just is a reflection of the leadership at the very top. There is no plan in place. There is no leadership there. And the presidents are, they're handcuffed by the, the, the leadership at the top of the conference. So it's on them to break out and to speak up against Larry Scott to get him out of there this has to be the last season with him in charge and they have to realize that especially coming back from this covid season they get they're going to need so much help to get back on track and larry scott will do nothing to help them accomplish that yeah and 2022 is when the next tv deals are up for the pac-12 and at this point, if you're ESPN, if you're Fox, are you going to bend over backwards to put this product on your airwaves in, in the most prime spots? No way. You're going to continue to stash these games at 8 p.m., at 9 p.m. Uh, when college basketball season rolls around. You're not going to put a, you know, an Oregon-USC game in the, you know, the 4.30 Eastern time slot on, on a Saturday afternoon. You're not going to put that up against you know, an SEC product like what it's next week is LSU Alabama something like that so you're never like just the state of the conference right now is just such is in such disarray that I don't know if if it's going to take just one move of the new commissioner if there is a new commissioner I'm lord willing there's a new commissioner uh, over the next couple of years here but it's just there. It is a directionless conference. There is no plan in place to get them out of this, out of this ditch they find themselves in. But hey, you can watch the games in the Philippines, so that's that's cool. Oh, text in seven ten seven ten Vizzy Hard Seltzer line. I think we all need a vent about this. It's 
I'm just so frustrated. I think everyone else is frustrated. We all need to come together as fans. This is when we can put aside our our differences as cougs, as dogs, as beavers, as ducks, as whatever whatever school you root for in the Pac-12. Put that aside. Let's unite in this one cause to get Larry Scott out of there and to bring the Pac-12 back to being relevant so we can watch some great games in prime time and they matter and the country cares about them because we can be there. We should be there and we will be there. We're just asking for relevance. But, you know, maybe a 9 a.m. kickoff would be a great thing. Oh, wait, they had that today, and it's largely overshadowed by much more important news going on. Weird. Good good stuff, Larry. Yeah, weird how a 9 a.m. kickoff did not pan out for the Pac-12. Who could have seen that coming? Coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we still got plenty to get to. Uh, we'll give you our big three for the 11 a.m. hour. That's coming your way in about 20 minutes. But up next, what impact will the biggest injuries for the Seahawks have in their game against Buffalo? We talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Looks like it's going to be. Very similar to what we saw a week ago for the Seahawks in their ground game. As DJ Dallas remains the healthiest option. He remains the option that has maybe the most experience with the 2020 ball club. Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, both of them not going to be playing tomorrow. So you still have DJ Dallas. You've got Travis Homer. You've got Alex Collins, who, if you remember, he was a Seahawk at one point. Uh, signed to the practice squad this week, and he'll be elevated to the active roster tomorrow. Taylor, when you look at what you saw from the Seahawks ground game last week against the 49ers, a team that, despite all their injuries, you know, still with you know enough decent pieces on their defense to get by, did you see enough from DJ Dallas that he could that you have confidence in him going up against this Bills defensive line? Um, no. But that's okay. Russell helped with that and with his legs. And like we, we talked about before, um, getting the ball out into space, right? Finding DK Metcalf in those spaces where he can go and extend the play with his legs, his speed, his strength. You know, finding Tyler Lockett in those great spaces and using David Moore and, and, and using some of those receivers to help be that run game. But. He's DJ Dallas did a, a fine job, and I don't want this to be any sort of diss to him, but I still don't have that confidence, even with Carlos Hyde, right? I would be so much more confident in this run game and what they could do against the Bills if Carlos Hyde was there. And you're right, we'll see Alex Collins most likely having that familiarity with the system still. Um, but the difference between Carson and those guys, to me, is still a big big jump. And I think Chris Carson is still a major piece of this offense. Yes, he's had some injury issues and he's been on and off the field, but his impact when he's on the field is so great. And it just feels like the step down is a big step down to DJ Dallas. And again, he did a fine job. I'm just not completely ready to let him you know, give the keys to that 15-year-old student driver and let him go. Like, I still... Yeah. Right. I need to be in the car for for this and to see this. And <laughs> let's get a couple more trips to and from the grocery store before I go ahead and let you go out by yourself. 
It's like those driver's ed cars where they've got the dual brakes for the passenger yeah. side and the driver's side. It's it's kind of like that going into tomorrow. The one thing, though, I think that will be good for Seattle's offense uh, against the Bills is that the weather forecast for Buffalo tomorrow is supposed to be sunny. It's supposed to be 64 degrees and sunny, which for a November game in Buffalo, that is a rare occurrence. It's usually snow flurries this time of year. Yeah, and if for Seattle, that's that's Seattle sunshine right there. That's as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. That's football weather right there. So weather won't be the Jim Moore factor like he loves mm-hmm. to talk about. Golf show coming up next, world famous. Um, <laughs> but that's such a big key that you're right. They don't have to lean on that run game like they – like you usually do when it's snowing or when the weather is bad, when it's rainy, when it's wet, when it's snowy, when it's cold, you know, when that ball hits your hands, it stings sometimes. Right. And Russell put some mustard on it. So it'll be great that those players won't have those elements to think about or to deter them from having a great game. Yeah. It's going to be sort of, uh, you know, there's not going to be as big of an impact on it as we all kind of anticipated. Uh, you know, when we saw the schedule, oh, Buffalo in November, watch out because that could really, uh, really get uncomfortable if you're not ready for it. Um, you look at some other injuries on the defense. Ryan Neal, DJ Reed, they were limited in their participation on Friday uh, during practice, but they look like they're going to be given a go here. Uh, I think that's going to be incredibly important for those guys to be out there because they've been pretty advantageous in the short time we've seen them out there. DJ Reed, his first game last week, he comes up with the interception. Uh, Ryan Neal, he's got a pair of interceptions out there. And no Ugo Amadi on Sunday. So that is going to amplify their importance to Seattle's secondary. Uh, Do you think the secondary right now, no Shaquille Griffin, how do you think they're going to perform against uh, Josh Allen and, and Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, a, a passing game that has been able to put up some good numbers this season? Yeah, I think the one thing you're going to see is a lot of the, the Buffalo Bills attacking that zone. And when they, they it'll be difficult for the Seahawks to truly hang man-to-man with Diggs and Beasley, like you said. So they'll use a lot of those zones, a lot of those blitzes and those play calls to try and get some of that advantage. But... They're going to eat, guys. Buckle up. Diggs is going to get some yards. Beasley's going to get some yards. It's going to be one of those games. I don't know if they're going to get a lot of points. And you always see this defense start to buckle down. Josh Allen also tends to make some mistakes. So there will be opportunities that he gives back to this Seahawks team. Um, but if if there is a yardage number to bet on anywhere, take the over because I, I guarantee you this this Bills offense will be able to get some of that chunk yardage plays. I don't know if they'll get a lot of points, but I do know they will probably get a lot of those yards. Yeah, I think 300 yards for Josh Allen is well within reach here coming yeah. in into Sunday. And it's no knock against the Seattle secondary or anything like that. I mean, it's just that's how it's been. Like, that's, just get used to that number, the 300-yard marker. If you can keep a, a passing game under 300 yards for the Seahawks, I think you're going to win 99.9% of your games this season. Or let it go over 400 yards because mm, I think the true. Seahawks are 
also undefeated in when yes. they allow 400 yards plus passing. So either bring it under three or over three. No threes. Threes is yeah. not the magic number on Keep Sunday for us. That. Keep yeah. it out of there. Maybe, maybe throw for 500. That means the Seahawks will probably shut out their opponent. That's I think the more yeah, yards you true. allow, the better you are. Uh, they may I, win by 48 really if they allow 500. I really uh, hope that's not the case, though. No, <laughs> me either. Awful. This is going to be a weird show next week if that happens. Yeah. So, Seahawks, they really <laughs> bent, but they did not break at all. Uh, so you they look at the... did that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you look at Pete Carroll. He has won so many unique games in his career. Uh, there, I think both times... Uh, they won a, or they've won the last two games in NFL history where the team did not convert a third down. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of how Pete Carroll does it. Uh, it if if the game gets weird, it tends to go in Seattle's favor. Uh, to me, I'm really hoping it doesn't get weird. Last week was great when you looked up and it, the scoreboard was 30 to seven at one point. It's like, what's going on here? I mean, you knew that the game was going to end up closer than that. Because that's just how the Seahawks are. It ended up, it was a two-score game though, thirty-seven twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. It never got to within one score, I believe. So, for Seattle to play a game like that, I, I think that was a good thing for them to see that hey, you know, we don't have to play every game close. We can beat a team early in that game and, and really help ourselves out in the fourth quarter. Because you look at the Bills this year, they've been in pretty much every game. And Josh Allen has had to leave a couple of game-winning drives. The one that sticks out to me the most is that one against the Rams, uh, where I believe they won it with no time left on the clock. So you look at Buffalo, the the dangers they present, I think it, it starts and ends offensively with that passing game. Yeah, and look, if if Josh Allen has a bad day, this Buffalo Bills team is in for a rough, rough outing. So they will go as he goes, but um, yeah, just limit him on the ground. Try and make him beat you with his his accuracy because he's not the most accurate passer. He's basically what we thought Jake Locker would be in the NFL, <laughs> but he is actually winning games and has a has a system around him to succeed so um you know limit the big plays because they're going to come limit his big plays because they're going to come capitalize on those turnovers and those dumb plays he makes because they will come (laughs) yeah looking at josh allen's numbers he hasn't thrown a touchdown since week six and he has only gone over 300 yards one time since week three. So maybe defenses have started to figure him out. Maybe they've started to figure out this Buffalo passing game. But Seattle's defense is, I got they're they're not on the same level I think as the uh, as the Titans, a team that did beat the Bills earlier this season. Mm-hmm. That was really the only game that was a blowout of theirs uh, where Tennessee just had their way. Derrick Henry ran all over him. Uh, Josh Norman has been out, I think, ever since that game, recovering from the stiff arm. He's still flying uh, into the uni- into the stratosphere right now. So, <laughs> uh, But, you know, you look at Kansas City. They held Josh Allen to 122 yards passing. Uh, I mean, if you can get Allen rattled, 
I think that's where this game is going to be won, and hopefully the Seahawks are going to be able to do that on Sunday. And they've got the reinforcements coming. Just got to go out there and prove it now. Coming up in the next hour, we have got some NFL headlines. The trade deadline came and went, but not a whole lot happened. And later, with hindsight being 2020, do you still regret the Seahawks not going after Jadevi and Clowney harder? We answered that but not before we get you a big three to start off the 11 a.m. hour. That's all coming your way here on Seattle Sports Saturday.